We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. All right, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Luke chapter 22. As today we cover verses 54 through 62, we're going to look at a story that probably is very familiar to most of you, and that is the whole story of uh, Peter when he denied the Lord. And in one sense, we'll see in two sections the lives of Peter, but then we'll also see the look of Jesus. So we're going to see that, you know, God is so amazing, man. He's the God of the second chance. I would venture to say that some of you here, you know, you've messed up. Um, we've fallen in the past. And uh, you might even wonder, man, well, then why am I here, you know? Um, I, I don't know if I can really get back on track. Uh, is that how it works in God's kingdom? Is it one strike and you're out? Or, or how many strikes and you're out? And uh, we learned that lesson today from Peter that, you know, when we, when we repent, man, when we get right with the Lord, that, that he'll forgive us. But we also learn, I think, you know, some warning signs as far as, you know, not wanting to go that way. As a matter of fact, you know what? I probably quote this scripture every time I teach. First John chapter 2, verse 1, where John says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. But, it says, if anyone has sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And that's always our, our heart, you know, as Christians. You know, we need to say, Lord, help me not to sin, not to fail, not to fall. But if I do, Lord, when I do, Lord, forgive me. Lift me up and help me to never, ever give up in my walk and relationship with you. We're going to see that so clearly in our study today because look what it says in verse 54. Uh, speaking of Jesus, it says, Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man also was with him. But he, Peter, denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. We'll see today first the lies of Peter, and then we'll see the look of Jesus. You know, I, this story is very important. As a matter of fact, 
When you read the Gospels, remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as synoptic Gospels. John is kind of a supplementary Gospel. 90% of its content is unique to John. And so, you know, you see that amongst the Gospels. But what you find is there are some things that are kind of important that are included in all the Gospels, all four of them. This is one of those stories. Why? Because it's very, very important to us. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you, when you get the chance, to read Matthew 26, 69-75. And then read Mark 14, 66-72. And then read John 18, verse 17 and verses 25 through 27. Because when you do, you get the full picture, the complete picture of exactly what happened that night. And what we find is the Lord really wants us to know this story. You know, and I think part of the reason is because a lot of us here can identify with Peter. He's such a classic character in the Bible. He was an honest man who had his share of setbacks. And therefore, I think a lot of us, we can relate to him. Why? Because we've all failed the Lord in one way or another. Uh, For example, with Peter, man, have you ever been there where you forgot to think before you spoke? Have you ever done that, you know? You didn't really weigh out those words before the Lord and ask him, Lord, are these the right words to say right here, right now, today, in this way? You didn't pray about it. And you didn't even think about it. You kind of put your foot in your mouth. Have you ever done that? Yeah, I think we all have, right? You know, Peter had that struggle from time to time, not praying or even thinking before speaking, putting his foot in his mouth. And in the Bible, we read of those incidents. and We read of a few of them. But I think when you really study his character, known as impetuous Peter, I'll bet you this was a common mistake in his life. He had his share of setbacks. You know, one time, you can read about it in Matthew chapter 16, Peter received what we call a supernatural revelation from God as to the identity of Christ. You know, the most important question of all is, who do men say that I am? Jesus said, who do men say that I am? You know, some say, oh, you know, you're you know, the prophet Jeremiah. Some say you're John the Baptist. They say you're one of the prophets. Then the Lord looked at Peter and he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I mean, it was amazing. It was a supernatural revelation. And when Peter said that, Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And so at that moment in time, Peter had a direct line with almighty God. And imagine that, a personal, supernatural, Christ-commendable revelation from the Father. But four verses later, just four verses later in Matthew chapter 16, verse 22, Peter becomes a spokesperson for Satan. Have you ever been there? (laughs) You know, can you believe that? Can you imagine that? And can you relate to that? You know, I'll bet if we look deep inside, we can. Remember the day, remember the way you were doing so good. And then four verses later, you were doing so bad. (laughs) 
You know, there have been times where I'm, I'm serious, man. I've gone in and I spent time on the Lord and I'm walking on the clouds and I'm so excited what God has shown me. And then I go in and then it's like, dude, you know, the only thing holding up your halo are those horns, right? <laughs> and we, again, we see the nature that we have. We can identify with Peter because we put our foot in our mouth sometimes and we get into a lot of trouble with the words that we say and we speak impetuously. Or we can identify with Peter where we're doing so good and then, boom, suddenly we're doing so bad. As time progressed, and I think you guys know the story, we know that eventually Peter grew, Peter was rearranged, Peter changed, right? And the Lord then used him in such a tremendous way. But on the way of that day of usefulness, he definitely had his share of failures. And this, what we're studying today in Luke 22, is what most would consider to be the big one. Right? It's the big failure. And those are different. You know, after all, it's one thing to accidentally say the wrong thing on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, he was sleepy. He just woke up. You know, it's one thing to accidentally have the wrong counsel for Christ when Jesus spoke of his cross. Peter didn't want him to die. He didn't really know everything. It's one thing to mistakenly fight with the sword in the garden when he wasn't supposed to. It's kind of understandable. Jesus had just spoken about a sword. But it's something else. It's totally something else when you're warned by Jesus, informed by Jesus, given specifics from Jesus, and then, you know, not accidentally and not mistakenly, but willfully and repeatedly deny the Lord to where you would come to the point of saying, you know what, I don't know the man. I don't know him. And you, you know, you begin to curse and to swear. I don't even know the man. You know, how did this happen? And more applicably, I guess you could say, is how does this happen to us? You know, someone denies the Lord. You know, someone defies the Lord. Someone that at one time loved the Lord so much. No longer walking with the Lord. No longer talking with the Lord. You know, and some don't just stumble and fall. We have seen over the years people sitting in the same place that you're sitting, not just falling, but falling away. You see, and that's why we have to learn this lesson from the life of Peter. You know, I know pastors and overseers leaving the Lord, leaving their families. They're dead spiritually. Some are dead physically. I wonder where they went when they died. You know, I know elders in the church who are no longer even going to church, not wanting to talk to other Christians anymore. You know, this can happen. You know, in light of today's study, last night my wife and I, we're not, we weren't gossiping, but we were just thinking, we were pondering over the years how we've seen so many people fall, fall hard, and even fall away. You know, in order to avoid this, we have recorded for us in all the Gospels the fall of Peter. Not just so that we can see how bad he was, but I think primarily so we might learn from his life and not make the same mistake. You know, it's been said that a fall for one so tall usually doesn't happen overnight and without a fight, without warning. As a matter of fact, many Bible teachers would tell you 
that there are some steps that Peter took in order to lie about the Lord and deny his own discipleship. And so today I want to go over those steps with you guys uh, because I think that these are steps that we must guard our heart against. Because, you know, it could happen to me, and and I'll tell you, I've heard this probably a million times, but it is just as relevant, it is just as as powerful in my life. It's just as necessary in my life as it was the very first time I heard it. There really is. Because, you know, none of us are beyond that place of just drifting away one day at a time until before you know it, you're, you're not in prayer, you're not in the Word, you're not going to church the way that you should. And before you know it, you're not in fellowship with God and you fall away None of us are beyond that place and then dying in that condition. And so it's a heavy warning. In Peter, we see definitely the first step was this thing that we call self-confidence. Self-confidence. Because look what it says in verse 31. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. The Lord just says, hey, Peter, just want to let you know the devil is asking for you. He wants to sift you as wheat. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> and the Lord says, but I want you to know that I prayed for you. And when you've returned, in other words, you're going you're gonna to go away. But when you return... I want you to strengthen your brethren, right? It's a warning, right? And what does Peter say? Peter says there in verse 33, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he, Jesus said, listen, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you even know me. Matthew, when you read Matthew's account, he gives us more details in Matthew twenty six thirty three, Peter answered and said to him, Jesus, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And so Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so even after being specifically informed and warned by Jesus, Peter was thoroughly convinced that there was no way he could fall. And that's the first step to falling. That's the first step to backsliding. That's the first step to just coming to a place where you don't want to be. You know, I could fall, um, and I have to remember that. There's so many areas of my life that I have to guard against. You know, as a man, here you are today, and if I could just say this, You know, maybe you've been faithful to your wife for X amount of years and you think you'll never, you would never do that. And so then one day you're, you're having lunch with a gal alone or you're in one of these classrooms alone with a gal. And you set yourself up. You can't do that. You can't go to lunch alone with somebody. You know, you think you're so strong. But all it takes is a moment, a moment of that, that, that human, physical, fallen, natural strength to manifest itself 
And, and the next thing you know, you're joining the ranks of those who have committed adultery. 40% of all married men commit adultery. Some of them probably because they thought, oh, it could never happen to me. You get so friendly with that gal at work and you begin to confide in her. All I know is this. It can happen. I mean, to me, I mean, to any of us in so many different ways that we have to have that heart of humility. You know, Peter should have known. I mean, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, we know now, even us, New Testament Christians, that really cool verse in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, I think I've told you guys before that if we have the mentality that that will never happen to me, then you've just moved to the front of the line. Those words, I would never do that, become what some might define as an unguarded strength. And an unguarded strength is a double weakness, right? I mean, who would have ever thought that Abraham, the father of the faith, would have failed in his faith, right? Who would have ever thought that Elijah, the the man of courage, would collapse in his courage? And who would have ever thought that Peter... And you know, the Lord chose Peter for a reason, and I really do believe, honestly, I believe that Peter loved Jesus. It was almost like his strength. He loved Jesus. But that was the area that he failed in. You see, and the, the, you know, it could be your strength. And, and that when the, the devil then just sets you up for failure. You know, when looking at Peter, you know, you might call it overconfidence, but in reality, I would just simply call it a misplaced confidence. When we begin to say, I can do this because I'm good and I'm godly and I'm experienced. I've been there before and overcome and I'm spiritually strong. I could do this or I would never do that. I'm beyond that temptation. You know, then we're, we're in big trouble. Here's the thing, you guys. We must have zero confidence in ourselves. Zero confidence in self. And then, you know, a hundred percent confidence in Christ. Now, I don't want you guys to go walk around like Eeyore, you know. No, man, you still, we still have to have confidence, but we have to make sure and search our hearts very thoroughly, carefully to make sure that that confidence is, is indeed in Christ. The Bible says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because, you know, you take that and you go to the flip side now, and you as a, as a, as a man, you're thinking, you know what, I struggle in this area. I'm not going to make it in this area. You know, I have a feeling that one day I'm going to fall because they say 40% of all men fall into adultery. And that's when you bring Jesus into your life and your heart and you say, I, I don't have to fall. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can die with integrity, faithful to my wife, not just in, you know, my, my life. I've never done it, but I've never even thought it and dwelt in that area. And it's so cool, you know, to have that confidence where it needs to be. You know, really cool verse in Proverbs 3.26. It says, For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot 
from being caught. You see, when Jesus is your confidence, it's so cool. He will protect you. And so I hear someone say today, Manny, I'm confident. I'm confident in the Lord. You are? Okay, then let me ask you a second question. How's your prayer life? (laughs) We're going to see that the next step to falling is actually a practical way to find out where our confidence lies. It's probably the closest thing to what we would call a litmus test. Because the first thing you have to guard yourself is against self-confidence. And the second thing that you must guard yourself against is prayerlessness. Because look what we read here in verse 40 of Luke 22. It says, when he came, Jesus came to the place. He said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. In verse 45, it says, when he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. In Mark's account, chapter 14, verse 37, Jesus came and found them sleeping, and he spoke specifically to Peter. He he addressed Peter. He said, you're sleeping? Can't you watch and pray at least an hour? And then he goes away, Jesus prays again, and then we read in verse 40 and 41 of Mark 14 that Jesus came to them, and again they were sleeping. They didn't know what to say. He came to them even the third time and asked, Are you still sleeping? You're not praying? And probably because Peter was the primary target, it hurt him the most. Prayerlessness. Christian, have you come to realize the importance of prayer in your life? You know, getting away to the Garden of Gethsemane, where you can surrender your will to God's will. Not just a real quick prayer before you eat your treat or meat, but a quality, quantity time of prayer with your Father. You know, Jesus was and is our perfect example, you know, because I'll be honest with you, for me, and and I don't know, I was relating this to the Olympics, I was relating this to my prayer life, you know, um, when we think of these Olympians, think about these guys, man, about the the intense, just out-of-this-world training that they have succumbed their bodies to, huh? Think about that. I mean, when you're there in the Olympics, especially from, you know, the United States of America, man, you have really worked hard, you know? Uh, And I was thinking about that last night when I was on my treadmill. I was like, Lord, I can do this. (laughs) I can do this. I am not going to give up, you know? And and in one sense, that I think of that, you know, that fight, that battle for me anyways to stay exercising, you know, to discipline myself. It's a battle that I just can never give up. And in many ways, that's the description of one's devotional life, of one's prayer life. It's a battle that you must never, ever give up on because we are fighting for a greater crown. The Bible says that specifically. They do it for a crown that will perish. We are doing it for an imperishable crown. And so, you know, we really need, you know, to we need discipline ourselves. No confidence in me. I know who I am apart from the Lord, and, and I need to pray. I need to get to that place of prayer, you know. And sometimes for, for me, I'll share with you guys, I have to wake up before the rest of my family wakes up. That's just the bottom line. You know, because otherwise, you know, I mean, and 
you know, my heart goes out to my wife, my kids, but they'll come in and they'll, you know, hey, want to talk. And that's okay. It's supposed to be that way, right? You know, but sometimes they'll say, woman, I'm praying, you know. <laughs> and that's not nice. So what does the Lord say? Well, for me, Manny, and for everybody who's different, you've got to wake up before they do. And, and this is how important it is. And for you moms who have kids, I know that's so hard, but don't give up. Because it's important for you to have that time. You know, Jesus was our example in this area, a perfect example. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, In the morning, having risen long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. We read in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, that immediately he made his disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. He sent the multitude away, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. He said, go, please go away. I need to pray. We read in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, that it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night, all night, all night in prayer to God. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we pondered his prayer there in the garden and how he so clearly, how forcefully and passionately showed us that before he could ever stand before his enemies, that he had to kneel before his father. And it was there in that time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where the victory of the cross of Calvary was won. It was there in that time of prayer. You know, and I just want to exhort you. I want to encourage you because I, I know we, all, we come from so many different backgrounds. Some of you here have been walking with the Lord for 20 years and you know exactly what I'm talking about, or maybe you've been walking with the Lord for 20 years and you don't know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you here are brand new Christians. And you're like, well, what does he mean by that? You know, I'm talking about where you just get alone with the Lord. You know, I tell husbands and wives, whenever I you know, do any counseling with them, I say, you know what, you've got to have date nights where it's just you and your spouse. And although I fail in that area, I want to get back on track. I want to stay on track. But, you know, there's something about just you being alone with God. And you've got to find a place. You know, wake up early in the morning before you start your day because your day is filled with so many, you know, battles. And once the day starts, it's just so hard to just re regain that time. You guys know what's called the first fruits, right? We give to God off the top. You know, as soon as you get paid, write your tithing check. And the same thing with, with everything, man. Your time. You give to God the best. And all I'm saying is that, man, when you go and you spend that time in prayer, it can't be, and I personally, and I know that you guys all have your own personal convictions, but I'm just going to share with you, you know, you can't be doing anything else. Oh, yeah, I like to pray, you know, while I do my math homework. I, I, yeah, you probably should pray when you're doing your math homework, man. But I am talking about undivided attention. You guys know how it is, right? When you're talking to your husband or your wife and, and they're not paying attention. Have you guys ever been there? What did I just say? <laughs> Undivided attention 
with God. And you know, the thing is that I try to tell people, listen, we're not trying to give you some religious, legalistic burden. All we're saying is talk with God. He wants to talk with you. You can pour out your heart to Him. How we need to learn. I know Peter eventually learned, we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, that he was involved in prayer meetings. The same thing in Acts 2.42. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, that Peter and John, they went together to the temple in the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, when Peter and the people prayed, man, there was an earthquake. God gave them boldness. When you read Peter's letter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Peter said, Be nice to your wife or God will hinder your prayers. Later on in that same letter in chapter 3, verse 12, he quoted an Old Testament passage, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Think about that. When you pray, God's ears are open. And then he wrote a real heavy verse in 1 Peter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. I'm telling you this, man. If you want to be a right-on Christian, if you want to be strong, and you might think you're strong, and you might think you're doing good, but I know this and I can tell you this from an objective perspective that if your prayer life is not healthy and strong, then neither are you. And I don't care what you say. Oh, I've never got high again. I don't drink anymore. You know, fornicate. I'm doing good. Not if your prayer life is not strong. Then neither are you. Because there is so much that God wants to do in your prayer life. You're here today and you say, I don't want to fall, Lord. And God says, okay, guard yourself against self-confidence and beware of prayerlessness. There's a really cool verse in Psalm 27a. I would encourage you to write that one down. It says, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, will I seek. One translation, New Living Translation, puts it this way. It says, My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. It's as simple as that. You see, the importance of prayer, Peter eventually learned, but he learned the hard way. He fell, he failed, he defied, he denied the demands of his Lord to watch and pray. In the process, he gave the enemy reason to reproach and ventured into some very, very dangerous territory. And we learn from him. Number one, be careful of self-confidence. Number two, be careful of prayerlessness, which reveals self-confidence. And then number three, be careful of following at a distance. Because look what you read in verse 54. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house But Peter followed at a distance. Peter was probably proud of himself that he followed at all. You know, because remember, there were the disciples, um, most of them scattered. John was able to hang with the Lord. But Peter, he followed, probably proud of himself. Well, I followed. But he followed at a distance. And there's a lesson there. You know, this is a bit more challenging to find on our radar screen, but there's a different way that it manifests itself. 
You know, sometimes I speak with people who tell me they, they, they come to church, but they don't read or pray at home. There are others who say, I read and pray at home. I believe in God, but they don't go to church. A lot of people like that. Some even say they read their Bible from time to time. They shoot up some prayers once in a while. They just haven't found a good church. You know, they don't like that organizational element of it. And then there are some who are doing all those things. Are you going to church? You're praying. You're, you're kind of going through the motions, reading your Bible. But when you really honestly search your heart and you look at your spiritual geography and the Holy Spirit just opens up your eyes and you realize, you know what? I'm following but I'm following at a distance. And these are all things that we have to guard our heart against. And there needs to be that spiritual insistence. Lord, I won't follow at a distance. I want to encourage you guys to stay close to Jesus. You know, you can be content with that. I can be content with that. And I, and I got to share this with you guys, you know? I mean, I, I can serve in the ministry and I can teach, you know, Sunday. This is four times on Sunday and Thursday. And I can go and teach it at other churches and in the Bible college. But all along, I could be following at a distance. It can happen to any of us. And you just know when you're not right there where you need to be. You know, a guy text messaged me the other day and we were talking. He was just telling me about how he wanted to get back, man. How he wanted to serve the Lord in the ministry, kind of looking for counsel, you know. And someone might say, well, go to Bible college or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, say, ten our fathers. I don't know. But I just told him, I said, you know what? The best advice is, is to stay close to Jesus. And you just know when you're, when you're in fellowship with him, and when you're not really in fellowship with him, all you have to do is just stop and think about it. It's hard to do, huh? It's hard to do. Why? Because you've got to wash the car and the cat. You've got to mow the lawn. You've got to paint the house. You've got to iron the clothes. And you've got to make the meals. And you've got to go to church. And you've got to do your homework. And you just the list is an endless list. And you never really get that time just to stop and think about it. Lord, where am I? And God wants us to make sure we don't follow him at a distance. I love Psalm 63, verse 8. If you could write that one down. It says, my soul follows close behind you. And your right hand upholds me. We got to stay close. You guys ever go in a caravan? You know how sometimes you don't know where you're going, right? And so you're following the leader, okay? And uh, one of the rules in caravanning, okay, you're in one car, they're in the other car. One of the rules is that you got to make sure that no other cars come between you. Did you guys know that? Okay, I mean, sometimes you get some rude drivers and they just butt right in front of you, right? And you're like, ah, and you can't be content with that. What do you have to do? You have to get out of your lane, go in front of that car, and, and, and push him out of the way. That's what you have to do, right? No, I'm just joking. You have to get right back to the point where nothing comes between you, right? 
Because what ends up happening is when another car gets in front of you, between you and your leader, you're like, oh, okay, I can kind of still see. But then what happens? He lets another car in front of them. And then what happens? Then you got a big rig in front of them, man. And before you know it, man, they just change freeways. <laughs> That's how it is with the Lord. There can be nothing between us. No person. Nothing. And it's so easy because usually the enemy will at least bring in one or two idols in your life. Well, at least worship this one. Get your eyes on this one or this thing. And God says, no, it can't be your family. It can't be your ministry. It's got to be the Lord. We've got to follow close behind him. And that's the thing that we learn from Peter. He's following at a distance and it's not a good thing. Self-confidence, prayerlessness, which reveals self-confidence. That will result in us following at a distance. And then the last thing you know, there we are. The last thing is this, warming ourselves by the enemy's fire. Because look again at verse 55. It says, Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Mark 14, verse 54 says, He sat with the servants and warmed himself at their fire. And John 18, verse 18 tells us that it was the officer's who had arrested Jesus. There he is with man, the enemy, right? And so what ended up happening? He ended up denying the Lord. You know, when you look at his whole process of denying the Lord, you realize that this is ultimately what Jesus was speaking of. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. One day this girl, she says this to you, you, you were with him. Oh, no, I wasn't. This guy, and next thing you know, they're teaming up on him. And he's in this place where he shouldn't be. Psalm 1, remember Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. See, that's the man who's blessed. And we live in the world, yes. And I, and I want you guys to know that you know we don't live and we shouldn't live in a Christian bubble. We're in the world, but you've got to make sure you understand that you're not of the world. It's okay for the boat to be in the water, but not the water in the boat. You know, the other day I hooked up with a friend of mine. He used to be the lead singer when I was in a heavy metal band. Believe it or not, I was in a heavy metal band at one time. And, and, uh, and so, you know, we hooked up, and I'm trying to reach out to him. Don't tell him I told you, but anyways, <laughs> he said, so we're playing a gig at the Whiskey. That was last night. And so part of me says, hey, should I go? Yeah, right. No, and then you just, you know, you just know. Some places you go, and some places you just cross the line. And God gives you that wisdom. Peter should have never been sitting with the enemies of Jesus Christ, warming himself at their fire. What's going to happen there? Especially him in that condition that he was in, and without prayer, self-confidence, following at a distance. It was not a good thing. You know, we have to be careful because what ends up happening is we, we end up with the wrong friends. And I could say this to you. I don't know all of you here, but man, maybe you have friends that don't love the Lord and they're, you're your best friends. And the Bible says this, Proverbs twelve twenty six: the righteous should choose his friends carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. I'm not saying you can't be friends with people who aren't Christians, but they can't be your best friends and they can't be the influencers of your life, the counselors that you go to in tough times. 
God gives you that wisdom. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that it won't affect me. When in all reality, it will. Watch your friends and watch your friendship with the world. Because it's important for us to understand. James chapter 4 verse 4 says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And so there you are and you're friends with the world. Man, next thing you know, that act in and of itself is definitely an enemy of God. James chapter 1 verse 27 says, Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world. And 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. See, and we can fall in love with the world. Let's say you're here today and you're a guy and you know how guys are? Most guys are visually stimulated. And you see a beautiful girl over here. Beautiful. She's just like what, you're, you know, what you've always envisioned. Everybody's different. Some like blonde hair, brown hair, doesn't matter. Red hair, doesn't even matter. And they're just so beautiful. That's the way the world is. It is appealing. It is appealing to your flesh. And God says, listen, I, I want to show you what ends up happening? Next thing you know, you're warming yourself right there by the enemy's fire. And what ends up happening? We deny the Lord. Second Timothy chapter four, verse ten. Paul said, "Demas, Demas," and you don't take that lightly. Demas, this was a guy that I served Jesus Christ with. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. That's what happened to Peter. And I pray that you and I would know, number one, that it can happen to us. And that's why we have to take all these things very seriously. Have no confidence in your flesh. Make sure you cultivate a healthy, strong prayer life. Make sure you're staying close to Jesus. Always check your spiritual geography. And then number four, whatever you do, do not fall in love with the world. Be so careful. Thank God, though, it doesn't end there. And it didn't end there with Peter because we see not only the lies of Peter, but we also see the look of the Lord. And let's close with this. Look what it says here in verse 61. When all this happened, we start in verse 60. Peter said, man, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. We read in verse 61 that Peter denied the Lord forcefully. But then think about it. While he was still speaking, all of a sudden the rooster crows. And think about it. He kind of looks over to his left and the Lord is looking right at him. Think about that. Now, I don't think it was a look of disgust. I have a feeling it probably wasn't even a look of disappointment. I have a feeling it was like described in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, when Jesus was looking at the rich young ruler. The Bible says, looking at him, he loved him. 
And there was something in the eyes of the Lord that rescued the soul of Peter at that moment. What had Jesus been doing during this time? Because hours had gone by, right? Well, Jesus was in the house of the high priest. He'd go to one high priest, another high priest, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, Herod, and Pilate. But this time it's the high priest. And every single time he went and he stood before somebody, he was getting beat up. He was getting, you know, bruised and battered and bloodied and mocked and spit upon. And so think about the the whole visual of everything. As Jesus is coming out of the high priest's house, he's covered with blood. He looks at Peter. Peter's right in the middle of denying him. And he sees his Lord. And I think that there is like such a huge, massive message in that. Look at how much he loves you. You know, how many strikes and you're out? I don't know. You know, that's between you and the Lord. But I would just say, man, that as the Lord was there at that moment in time, you know, we would figure, well, that would be the one moment he wouldn't be there. You know, God's not there. God's there. He's there to rescue you. You know, I like what William Barclay said. He said... Some people wonder how Jesus could be close enough to look upon Peter at this moment. The best answer is that the temple police were just then leading him from the hall of trial through the open courtyard to some place of detention until he should be wanted again. With his face contused black and blue from the blows he had received, with spittle still defiling his countenance, Jesus looked upon poor Peter. No wonder that look went home into his heart. Luke alone reports the great fact in the midst of his own awful passion, Jesus' savior heart thinks of Peter. And with a look at the man on whose lips the fearful denials are still trembling, reaches into that man's soul in order to save him. And I don't know what you've done. And, you know, maybe you're here and I don't know what condition your life is in. You've denied the Lord. I'm not a Christian. I don't want to be a Christian. But maybe by God's grace, the Holy Spirit would speak to you and say, Are you sure? Are you sure that this is the one that you want to deny? The one that died for you? The one that saved you? Look how much he loves you. And with that look, there's an opportunity for us to get right with the Lord. I guess in one sense, there's only two types of people in this world. You're either a Judas or a Peter. Because, you know, we've all failed the Lord. And God is here to restore your life. I pray that you would choose to be a Peter and you're going to find in the amazing plan of God that even the things that you failed in, God will use now for his glory. And now you're going to be able to minister to people with a compassion and a grace that maybe you didn't have before. Remember 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, little children, we write these things to you that you may not sin. Well, that's our hope. We learn these steps so that you don't sin. But if... You do. We have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous. We've got to do our best to stay away from falls like Peter. Let's do our best to stay close to the look of the love of the Lord. I don't know if you guys heard um, last week, um, Pastor Chuck Smith, who happens to be doing better, but he fell. He fell down. And I guess he missed one of those steps. And you know how it is when you get older and you fall down. That can be very, very serious, right? Well, I guess younger too. Forgive me for saying that, all right? But anyways, he fell. Boom, he fell on his face. And so, you know, you, you listen to Pastor's Perspective, 107.9 from 3 to 4. But you can also go online and you can actually see video. And so I heard that he had got messed up. And so I went online and I checked it out. And his whole face... It was all bloody right here. It was all messed up. But I was tripping out. <laughs> he just fell. But there he is ministering. You know, even as an older man, that night he went, he just fell. And he was that night at Calvary Chapel South Bay doing what God had called him to do. And I just want to encourage you with this, you know, truth. I mean, try your best not to fall, you guys, because that can be some dangerous stuff. Stay close to the Lord. But if you do fall, get up. Let the Lord lift you up. And you go out and you serve the Lord as he's called each and every one of us to do. Don't stay down, okay? Don't stay down. Oh, Lord, what a joy it is to be able to study your word together. And, and it's like a mirror, Lord. It's a mirror when I see myself. Times I get self-confident. Times, Lord, I'm not praying as I should. And times I, I am following at a distance. And then I get too close to this world. Lord, I pray that you would just work in our hearts in such a way that we would learn from the life of Peter and that, Lord, you would guard us against this. Father, my prayer is that no one here, no one that hears the words of my voice would ever fall away. Keep us close to you, Lord. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who's not a Christian, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would know they need you. And if they just turn from their sins, trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you, your word says, you will write their name in the book of life. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.